Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 54, entitled Fathers, Sons, and Explosions, in which I'll be examining issue number 46. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. So today we'll be exploring issue uh, 46, The New Mutants, and the Really, probably the important thing about this issue, there's a number of things. We've got some uh, multiple plot lines. One deals uh, with the mutant massacre. And for the New Mutants, this is the only issue of theirs that enters into that crossover. Um, In this issue, we're going to be dealing with a lot of the aftermath of Uncanny X-Men 211. Um, And I I chose just to, to do this issue and move on. Um, one, because I want to keep this momentum going, and I didn't want to drown myself with a massive crossover. Um, I, I just didn't think that was probably the best decision at this point in time for myself. So uh, I thought, let's keep it simple. We'll touch on slightly on the mute Massacre, but we'll just keep moving forward. Uh so that's what we're going to be doing. At some point, I may go back and take an episode, a special episode, and, and review the Mutant Massacre. Uh, it is a fairly important event for the uh, X-Line. It's the first massive X-Line crossover ever to occur within X-Men. Um, and it involves all three books. There were only three books at the time, Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, and The New Mutants. And as I said, this is the only issue that really deals with uh, the New Mutants. It's the only New Mutant issue that deals with the Mutant Massacre. So, that being said, let's discuss our creative team. Um, This cover is brilliant. It's uh, Barry Windsor Smith, uh, very classic uh, Barry Windsor Smith. Um, We got the the X-Men bursting through the tunnel, and Cyclops is, or Colossus, sorry, is is telling the New Mutants and who who we have uh, Cannonball and Magma, and they're they're standing uh, on either side of Magneto, and they're both shot, and they're they're all kind of shocked and startled as the X Men come barreling through the wall, and uh, Colossus says, "Clear out, kids! This is a job for the X Men." And they're followed by the Morlocks. We see Sunder and Callisto. Uh, Kitty Pride uh, is looks as though she's phasing through stuff. And then we've got um, Storm, who's pretty roughed up. Her costume's pretty tattered, and she's carrying uh, looks to be unconscious. Uh, uh, Nightcrawler. So we have that as the cover right here. Um, really, really nice artwork. Um, the writer on the book, obviously, it's Chris Claremont. We've got Jackson Geis back and Kyle Baker. They've both been doing a fantastic job. Their their pairing on this book is is actually very good. I'm very pleased with the artwork. I, you know, I, having revisiting these issues, you know, I I, I don't know if it's because they followed, uh, you know, my favorite artist, uh, Zinkevich so closely follows Sienkiewicz that, you know, that, that, it, that I have just this vague recollection of not being very impressed. But 
for the most part, I, I am. I, I, I enjoy their artwork, you know, pretty, pretty, I'm pretty impressed with it, pretty much enjoy it. Uh, so it's nice to have them back. It's nice to have them doing that work in the book. It would have been neat to see uh, Barry Windsor Smith in this issue. I think he would have handled it pretty well. It would have been neat to see what he could do with the New Mutants. Because for the most part, this isn't a big uh, rumble fest. It's it's kind of a slower-moving um, story arc. So, that being said, uh, we have Orzakowski back on the letters, and Glynis Oliver, she's doing colors. We've got Innocenti and Jim Shooter. Innocenti's the line editor, and then we have Jim Shooter, who is editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics at this time. So that's the creative team. Uh, really hasn't changed at all <laughs> for quite a while, which is kind of nice. You get some, uh, you know, I, th- I think there's a nice rapport that's beginning to develop between Baker and uh, our Geis and Claremont. Um, and I think that's always important to have a good, good working relationship, a good understanding uh, between artist and writer. Um, a quick aside, uh, no, I'm going to leave that. At some point, I do want to go back and talk about the New, New Mutants' most recent release, uh, War Child, uh, that just was released. Uh, Claremont Zinkevich paired up, and uh, yeah, I'd love to take a, have an opportunity to talk to you guys about that. So that might sneak its way into our podcast here sooner than later. Um, so I haven't decided yet, but maybe be looking for for that um anyways this issue is called bloody sunday and let's uh, not hesitate any longer and let's get inside let's dive into this issue so we find ourselves looking through this um maybe like garden gate i don't know um it looks old it's it's on the property it's <clears throat> Not the main entrance to the Xavier Mansion, but it looks as maybe it's a garden path. It's pretty overgrown. Um, it looks like it was built in 1698. Um, vines are overgrowing the walls, and the grass doesn't look to be a, has been cut for a while. Um, uh, so either it's a sign that the grounds are being up kept, or it's just an older section of... Uh, the the mansion property, and of course this is Xavier's mansion, School of Gifted Youngster. It's night. The the moon. It is uh, coming up. It's you know a, it's in the air. It's full moon, um, so it's probably eleven, ten, eleven o'clock at night, and there is a blood curdling roar, and we see that, and Daxmen are in New York City. Um, they have answered a call to assist the Morlocks. And so the only people that are at Xavier's school are the novice team, the new mutants, the young young kids, right? And they uh, are, are away from the danger, you know, safe. Uh, but... Their their evening has been disrupted by this roar, and everybody scampers out into the hallways. Uh, people are trying to figure out what's going on, uh, and Sam he thinks it's Kitty Pride's dragon Lockheed, and uh, sure enough, they race downstairs, and there's uh, 
Ileana, Cypher, Doug Ramsey, and Warlock. And they're trying to figure out what's happened. And there is a hole burst through the door um, of the elevator. And they pry it open and Sam shoots down. He tells them to, you know, to follow you know, follow in, you know, follow him down, meet him downstairs. Uh, he's going after Warlock. They're going to go and figure out what's going on with Lockheed. Something, you know, something's really wrong. Um, and he's, he's heading down towards the training complex, the danger room area. And so that's where they head. And, uh, you know, Doug, which has become very much normal for his character. He is, uh, Wears Warlock as though he's like a suit of armor. And we've talked, I talked about it last issue, um, subtext that is readily available with that. He is no longer interested necessarily in Kitty Pride. They're friends. Um, so, you know, take it as you will. Uh, as I said, the team heads downstairs. Well, Danny, she decides she's running outside. She's going to check Brightwind, make sure Brightwind's okay. And she figures if she's out there, she can head... If, if Lockheed's making his way to the hangar, um, or the, you know, the jet is kept, the Blackbird, the X-Men's uh, m- common mode of transportation is stored, uh, she might be able to head Lockheed off before he escapes. When she turns back to the mansion, she sees an image of death. And this is a huge uh, splash page, right? And, I mean, death takes up probably uh, three-fourths of the page, if not more. Um, and at the very bottom, we have just a small Daniel Moonstar and the mansion. Um, but death is definitely... Somebody is about to die, and she... Of course, is you know horrified by this, uh, but we're beginning to see this this common refrain for Danny that she is less and le- ever since what happened in Denver, she has become less and less willing to fight death. Because uh, initially she fought death every time death appeared. Death appeared uh, over the Power Pack's mother, and she fought death off and won that fight. Uh, she tried to fight death in Colorado, and you know it, every time you know the more and more death pops up, the more and more she's likely to step back, realizing that death has its proper place in the world. Um, and she, you know, like we had that last that is, the the issue with the kid who committed suicide, right? She kind of just admitted it was a foregone conclusion. There was really nothing she could do. That was kind of the attitude she had. Uh, so I'm finding that to be an interesting character change for, for Daniel Moonstar. Um, so, yeah, death. And that's what we're left with because we're going to jump. We are jumping to Muir Island. And, well, it is night. It is near midnight uh, in New York where the new moons are. It is early dawn the sun is just rising and moira is up she has been working out exercising while in the bedroom uh laying in bed still sleeping is banshee she is taking her morning shower and thinking to herself that she has overdone it she's pushed herself too hard and she has 
a pulled muscle. And all of a sudden, there's a flash of light. And it's Ileana. She needs, she needs Moira to come with her. Uh, and doesn't have time really to explain. And, tell, you know, she grabs hold of Moira, who's in the shower. And, you know, if you're in the shower, you're, you're naked. And the two of them, she teleports Moira away. And Moira is, one, kind of a taken back. You're just being teleported into limbo with Ileana. And she demands an explanation. You know, why has she brought her? And she calls the she calls limbo awful. And Ileana's looking at her scarring pool and figures out, hey, she has missed. She's traveled back in time too far. Because one thing Ileana's powers allow her to is teleporting to and from limbo. This allows her to move in time and space. Well... She moved to limbo, but she moved back in time at the same time. Um, and this is a common mistake that's been happening to Ileana. Uh, you know, it's, it's the longer she, the further the distance of teleportation, the more difficult it is for her to get uh, the time, to teleport to the right time. Um, and so she notices that, you know, she has teleported... Uh, back too late that she hasn't left the mansion yet. She hasn't teleported from the mansion. So they'll have to wait until Ileana teleports so that she doesn't teleport uh, so they miss each other. So she doesn't teleport and, and, and see her past self. And so she takes this moment to talk to, to, to fill kind of Moira in. Now one she uh, talks about um how Moira is frightened of her. Um, she doesn't want to be frightening. It's not what she hopes. Um, but that's part of who she is. She's cursed. She's, she's, you know, Belasco, the old ruler of Limbo, has basically corrupted her soul. Um, and, so that, you know, that, that corruption has made her not a very nice person. And she's, you know, sorry about it, but she really can't do anything about it. That's her stance. And she apologizes for grabbing her right out of the shower, not letting her have any clothes. So she conjures up something for her. And it's like this leather jacket with spikes on the shoulders, massive shoulder pads, uh, gloves, and these metal-like... Um, bracers and tight leather pants with belts and these white belts that have skulls on them and high heel uh, uh, high heel uh, <clears throat> uh, not boots but uh, just high heels and um, yeah she's her innocence has been twisted she explains by black man magic and Moira is kind of still shocked uh, and figures there's trouble at school. And Ileana explains, yeah, that, you know, she's right. Um, and, you know, that Kitty's in danger. Uh, and, and so they're watching the scarring pool and they see uh, Lockheed, he's, you know, in the hangar and 
Cannonball and Warlock are chasing after him with, you know, and all of a sudden there's this big kind of explosion and the wall, this rock just flies back and it sends Lockheed and Sam and Warlock flying and there stands the X-Men. We have, you know, a roughed up Kurt Wagner who's being dragged uh, who's Nightcrawler? Who's being? He's wrapped. He's got uh, bandages around his hands, his arms, his you know chest. His legs have been bandaged, and he's being literally dragged across the ground by Rogue, uh, who's in her her costumes pretty ripped up. Uh, Storm, she's pretty beat up too, but she's still walking. Kitty Prize is she's phased, and uh, then we have. <clears throat> um, Colossus and he his his uniform's pretty ripped up and this giant beast of a man and Callisto's behind them and there's this giant beast of man who's carrying some other Morlocks uh and and he falls and that's Sunder um you know and and you know things don't look real great uh they need help they need medical attention uh people are in really rough shape um they need a physician to deal with these wounds. It's bad. It's real bad. And at that point, Kitty, uh, Ileana teleports herself and Moira into the hangar. Um, they miss Ileana's uh, past self, and she says it's good that they did because um, if they would have returned before her past self had left they would have ruptured the time stream. So, um, don't know if that would have happened or not, uh, but I do like that Claremont has pulled this old trope into the comics because quite often this is a common uh, story element in time traveling that if you see your past self, you will rupture the time stream that, that'll end time, that, that'll cause a rip in time. Something bad will happen that is not good, and so you must avoid it. And I like that we're having this this tip of the hat to that. Um, Moira takes pretty quickly, takes control of the scene. Magneto and uh, looks like Tom Corsi and Sharon Freelander are there, maybe some other people, I'm not sure who. Um, they're trying to respond, and it is bad, like I said. But Moira, she takes, takes control of the situation. She says, we're going to need combat triage stations they're going to have to establish it there in the hangar they're going to have to deal with these injured and they you know how the people that are the most injured and then slowly uh work their way back to the least injured um iliana goes uh to kitty who is phased and you know tells her she looks like a ghost um and asks her can can you you know unfaze and make yourself solid and kitty all she can do is shake her head and, and saying, saying no, she can't. Um, the situation's bad, you know. Um, and Storm, she tells them what happened. Uh, and, and she tells them straight up it's a massacre. It was a massacre. That a band of super-powered uh, mutants, uh, assassins um, known as the Marauders attacked the tunnels and killed everyone they were just killing everyone they met um, it, and, and Storm calls it a deliberate planned attempt to wipe out Callisto's people 
And they would have exceeded, succeeded at that had the X-Men, Shadowcat and Nightcrawler uh, not, not shown up. Shadow... You know, Shadowcat and, and Nightcrawler are the most critically injured for the X-Men. Um, they don't know anything about the Marauders. They don't know who they're working for. Um, she also tells us that she left Wolverine behind. You know, hoping that he'll bring someone back. So, like a prisoner, so they can get some answers. And Moira tells her, you know, she's not sure they can handle this situation. It's bad. And the this the you know, the school's just not equipped to handle this. And Storm just tells her, you know, we don't have an alternative. This is the only place that can protect the wounded. And Moira asks if it's over and Storm says it's hardly begun. And Storm tells the New Mutants that Moira's in charge and she they need to listen to anything that she asks them to do. So basically, that's kind of going to be the role. The New Mutants are here to help with this chaotic situation, help Moira protect and take care for the, the, the Morlocks. Um, they're not going to get involved in the carnage that is occurring between the Marauders and the X-Men. They're not going to get involved in this. Um, they're here to be a support team, to support Moira, to make sure that they're doing everything that she needs to do to help these injured people. So throughout the day and Throughout that night and the, that morning to the dusk to evening, you know, they, the new mutants work. They do their best to help Moira in any way possible. But in all honesty, they're pretty much overwhelmed by the horror of the situation. And, you know, we, we see it throughout their interaction, throughout the things they're doing. We have Roberto who's, you know, using his strengths constantly. He's one, at one point, he's reforming uh, these cubicle pieces uh into a, a you know like a life support structure or, or, or a you know uh dividing walls to separate the patients I, I can't really tell uh what exactly they're being used for but that's kind of my guess maybe they're uh he's he's reshaping them to better suit what they need um <clears throat> and and what we get from the narration is that sunspot since he's uh tr- taken on his sunspot form he since really it's been work he's been working here he's been crying really since the horror began you know since the situation started uh cannonball he's rocketing through to and from uh throughout the the complex he's he's carrying supplies for moira uh mctaggart um but he he notices as he's thinking to himself that whatever he's bringing isn't enough and it reminds him of being back home when the whole town used to pitch in when a mine would collapse, how everyone would pray for the trapped men to come home alive. And he remembers seeing his father so helpless. You know, and, and he thinks back to when he was a younger and, and his dad passed away. Uh, 
Moy, uh, magma. She's welding metal pieces together to with you know helping Rogue by by welding these metal pieces together. Um, again, we see Sunspot, and he's carrying this massive life support machine, uh, life support uh, equipment, and it, he begins to falter. His strength is giving out. He's been deprived of the sun too long. That's how he gains his strength. That's how he recharges himself. And he's been out of the sun for too long. And his power's fading. And he almost drops the slave support machine. And thank goodness uh, Colossus is there. And he, and he grabs it from him. And he's... Roberto is chided by by Magneto. He tells him, you know, he's being careless and that that could cost lives. And Roberto, you know, tries to apologize and he says, and and Magneto quickly tells him, if you can't be of use, boy, stay out of the way of those who can. And Sam tries to depend, defend him and, and, and Magneto tells him that there's just, you know, under these circumstances, he doesn't have the time or the patience to, to, you know, worry about Roberto's wounded pride. Um, it's not going well, obviously, and we see that with Sunder, who is this massively strong Morlock, and uh, Moira is trying to amputate a limb, but he, he, he won't calm, he won't let her do it. You know, she tells them he's going to bleed out, and uh, Magneto takes a crack at it. He has the, has the floor come up and wrap around a metal uh, bands, but he shatters those. And <clears throat> Moira asks Karma to try to possess him, to calm him, and she does. She tries to do that, and her her size shield is just overwhelmed. It's it's she he she can't resist the pain that he's feeling, and she's unable to 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 handle the situation, and he has to let let him go. And Betsy Braddock, who is new, um, in an issue I probably should have covered, she joins uh, the X-Men recently. She's uh, first appearances in um, Uncanny, uh, or, sorry, New Mutants issue number two. Um, she shows up, and uh, she's a mutant, and she's able to to possess him and to, to soothe uh, Karma at the same time. And she takes on all of Sunder's pain. Um, Magneto's a little worried, but she's endured worst, she tells him. And she also, you know, tells Karma telepathically she need, needn't, she's nothing to be forgiven for. She's did, done her best, and that's all anyone could ask for. Um, And Shane talks about how, you know, Warlock and Doug both go to comfort her. And she's telling Doug how much this reminds her of her homeland in Vietnam. And she never thought she'd see horrors like this again. Meanwhile, Danny is cowering. She's just terrified. Um, she's seeing visions of death over all of the new mutants, over everyone pretty much in that uh, facility. They're everywhere. Um, she's given up trying to fight death. She's 
wants to have the courage, the strength to 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 save everyone in this this hangar, but death in her mind is too strong, and she's only a girl. What can she do? She's a fool for you know thinking she was a match for the Reaper. And Sam goes to her and and asks if she's okay. And she tells him, Oh, Sam, there's no hope. Sam asks, says for the Morlocks or the New Mutants. And that's, you know, that's... The situation's really uncertain. And so if if you just come across this, you know, you're not missing anything, really, uh, having not read the rest of the mutant massacre you could read just read each of the new mutants that you use and you'd get what was supposed to be gotten from um from the story like okay there's something going on in the x-men book it involves a little bit of the new mutants but it's not super vital that i understand it you could read it and move forward and not really miss too much of a beat if you've read the whole series this adds a weight to this scene this scene i think adds a weight to the crossover that is much needed. Like things are bad. Things are really, really bad. Um, if you're reading the mutant massacre, you know, the entire crossover, if you're collecting each of these books to read the entire crossover, you're getting a clear understanding that things are not good. Things have gone from bad to worse and things might not work out in everybody's favor here. Things have gone pretty ugly. And uh, I think this panel, these couple panels here with with Sam and Danny really convey that very well. Um, so I also like that, we're, you know, Clement does such a masterful job in my mind of of staying true to his characters, really carrying forward the difficulties and the struggles they've, they're dealing with. So, uh, yeah, I think it's great. So with the chaos in the hangar uh, being tended to by the X-Men and a handful of other new mutants, uh, upstairs in the kitchen, Rain is preparing sandwiches for the people downstairs. Bobby, he storms into the kitchen. He's furious, right? And he's not angry or upset, at least in the immediacy of his thoughts or the things he's saying about what Magneto are about the massacre and what's happening with the Morlocks. He's upset about having been reprimanded, publicly reprimanded by by Magneto. You know, and this is, this fits with his character. This is who Roberto is. He is very selfish and very self-centered at times. Um, his desire more often than not in situations like this is to play the role of the hero to be the big uh big savior and oftentimes when he's in this mindset he fails to see the larger picture and in this instance he's failing to see that this selfishness could have harmed people who are in desperate need of aid um and he goes to grab a sandwich from the table. You know, he's he's admiring the fact that Rain is domesticated. She is doing the role of a woman. Once again, we've seen this male uh, machismo, um, you know, just very much masculine, toxic masculinity that 
that his character often presents, which I don't think is that uncommon, especially amongst teenagers, I think, uh, based on how he grew up, where he grew up, his family, you know, his wealth. This makes sense, I think, for his character to have these kind of thoughts, these kind of uh, ideas. I mean, it's also a time in the 80s when that wouldn't be that unheard of to to hear people thinking about. I think oftentimes you can hear young teenage boys acting and talking and behaving and thinking this way as well. So this, you know, this idea that Rain's doing this role of domestic housewife and, oh man, that's wonderful. And he's happy, goes to grab a sandwich and Rain loses it. She tells him, you know, lay off. Those are for the people downstairs. You don't, you know, leave it alone. And that's it. Roberta loses it. He absolutely loses it. He transforms to a sunspot form and he smashes stuff and Rain is done. She tells him he's this uncaring, selfish jerk and they're ready to go to blow. She transforms to her wolf form and only her transitional wolf form. So it's not the wolf, but she's like the werewolf form. And that is the only thing that tips anyone off as to what's going on upstairs because uh, Danny has this telepathic rapport with Rain, her and Sam rush upstairs to confront the two of them. The kitchen is destroyed, the table's crushed, and they're ready to just tear each other apart. And that's it. Danny's had enough. She tells them they're both out of line, you know, to shut up. Just to shut up. Um, you know, just chastising them. You know, how, you know, how could they behave this way? This is why everyone calls the new mutants ex-babies. You know, people are injured. They're dying downstairs. And all these two want to do is pick a stupid fight with one another. You know, and it's, you know, they're no help in this situation. And Rain, her, she's, of course, embarrassed and upset and saddened by this. She doesn't want to behave this way. And we see that in her text. It's very, very small, you know, normal-sized word bubble, very small text. And she apologizes. And Sam adds, you know, it's easy to say that. It's really easy to say, sorry. Um, But it's, you know, it's consistency always doing the thing that's right um whether it's big or small public or private it's not important it's the helping that really is what's the point um so you know they're they're kind of talking about the ideas of grand gestures right and doing it in the public eye to get credit and it's not about that it's just about the helping how helpful have they been you know and both both Rain and Bobby want to help so bad. And Bobby is still steamed, you know, that Magneto had, you know, told him to leave. Um, you know, Bobby's point is the new mutants, the, the team's showing their value. They've, they've, they've done, they've, they've, done the right thing more often than not time and time again and everyone keeps treating them like kids you know and 
he's he's just he's really really upset you know and he's he's angry that you know as soon as he makes a mistake you know he is chastised and ridiculed magneto though he he's constantly making mistakes in bobby's eyes and nobody nobody's you know putting the teacher in his place you know, so it's just, he's really upset. But, you know, Sam's point is true. You know, helping is what matters. And none of this other stuff really matters at all. You know, if that's something I want to address later, that's fine. But right now, people are in dire need of help. And they need to step up to the plate and do that. Um, and so they want to clean up the mess and make those sandwiches and get them downstairs to the people that really need them. Out on the back porch, it's now raining, and it's, you know, overcast. It's really gloomy, and Doug comes outside, and he sees Warlock out there, and Warlock's scanning for something, but he won't tell Doug what's up. D- you know, Doug asks, he won't tell him. Um, and that's kind of where we leave that. Something is up, though, with Warlock, uh, and he is, you know, according to Doug, it's, it, manifested more sensors and scanners than he's ever seen uh warlock manifest so this is super unusual um and warlock is tight-lipped he's not sharing so what is beginning to happen is the development of two subplots by writer chris claremont we've got something going on with warlock and we've got now something going on with shane's Shane Coy Man's siblings, which we're going to talk here about very moment and in a moment, um, and I think, but I want to touch on this fact before we touch on what's happening with Rain's fa- or Shane Coy Man's family, Karma's family. So I think this is a very smart move by Claremont. I one I like the mutant massacre as something that's so adult, so extreme that. The new mutants really shouldn't be involved in it. I mean, this is something that's... I mean, it's tons of Morlocks are dead, right? Hundreds of Morlocks have been killed. Um, so, like, that's just in itself is a horrific thing that you might not want children and teenagers to see. Two, the X-Men have gotten their asses whooped. Like, they've gotten their butts kicked pretty severely here. Um... You know, Kitty Pride, she's phased and not able to to phase back to a solid form. Uh, Nightcrawler's down and out, and he he's you know they're they're fearing he might die. We have Colossus who can't change back to his human form. So I mean, some big hitters, heavy hitters on the X Men's you know roster are severely injured. Um, and what we're this is all in a way preparing the X-Men for a transition away from the mansion. Um, so the other piece that's interesting here is we're, we're going to have the, these two subplots pull the new mutants away from the school. And by the time they return, so they'll be gone for a couple, you know, a handful of issues. When they return, they won't be sharing the school with the X-Men. So it's 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 the end of really an era um, of X-related comics, um, the X X line. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is a big deal, but I think it's the right move, and and for so many reasons. Like I said, I think this was a really neat way to explore some character uh, 
the way uh, some develop some of these characters. I think with this really complex, complex, very dark and horrific uh, aftermath of um, Uncanny X Men two eleven. I think that's you know well done on Claremont's part. I I think um, it's also good that they don't become just cannon fodder for the fights with the Marauders. I mean, if the X-Men can't hold, go toe-to-toe with the Marauders, what chance would um, the New Mutants have? And if they just become foot soldiers in, a, in the fights against the Marauders, they lose their own identity. They, they become minions of the X-Men, and they lose um, their individuality and their separate status. I mean, they're novice students. They're they're not, you know, world beaters. They're not they're not the X Men. And I and I think it would have been a disservice to have them play some support role that puts them in a sub subservient um position. I think in this instance, Claremont makes a the correct decision pulling this team away and having them do their own thing it allows him to tie up some loose ends um and and separate the two teams which i think is always a good thing for the new mutants especially to not be second filled to the x-men because i think they'd get lost in the background and i don't think that would have served this book at all so i think he makes the correct decision here Anyways, so the second subplot uh, that we're going to be exploring is Rain, uh, Shane Koi Man and her family. So she's sitting in the study, um, in Magneto's study, in his office, and she's trying to get a hold of her siblings. And no luck. She can't get out. There's no answer at home. And she's worried. And magic appears. She teleports back from limbo. And she's upset, too. Um, and she explain and she explains to Shane that she has been trying to cure Kitty. She she took Kitty to Limbo, um, in a hopes that she could use her sorcery powers to help Kitty phase back to a solid form. No good, no, no luck. She was not able to do that. Um, for whatever reason, Kitty is so far phased that even her magic can't. Uh, latch on to Kitty, and she can't use her magic on Earth. So she's not able to help her best friend, and she is, you know, for Ileana, I think she's extremely upset. Um, and, you know, we can talk about the closeness of that bond. Um, they're they're extremely close, and you can look at that as a friendship, or there's subtext there that suggests that there's something more. And we'll see that play out as the New Mutants story arc continues and as we get closer and closer to inferno uh by the end of inferno kitty has Ileana's soul sword appear to her so this is a huge for people that uh point to a relationship a more intimate relationship between kitty and Ileana. that's one of the things that people point to often that suggests there's something more than just their two friends Two girls that pal around. I mean, these these two are probably in more a much more intimate relationship than just friendship, um, and that's you know, for a lot of people that's canon. For some, I 
don't know, but I would bet there's a, a handful of people out there that would say, Nuh-uh, no way. It's not explicitly stated. It doesn't exist. That's just, you know, hopefully not. Because uh, I think, you know, I think there's some... I like the inclusivity of the X-Men. You know, <clears throat> I'm pretty, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just like that. I just, I've always appreciated that about the X-Men. And ever, I, I'm glad that there's a, a title, a, 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 a series, a, a line in comics, in mainstream comics, that so many people can find appealing. Right, that they that, that that they can find whatever they're looking for. So I, I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that's a great thing, and I think that's one of the awesome things about this line. I'm way way off track, though. Let's bring it back to what we're talking about. So Ileana's pretty upset, and so Shane. Shane can't get a hold of her siblings. She's really worried, and so the two of them decide they're going to teleport real quick to to Shane's house and bring the two to the mansion, her two, her siblings, her, uh, Leon and, uh, <clears throat> and Nag, Naga. I'm probably mispronouncing the names, um, but that's what they do. So they teleport away. And, of course, Doug and Warlock, they show up just in time to see them teleporting away, and... Uh, they're concerned. They tell the others. Of course, Roberto doesn't like that Doug has brought this to their attention. He thinks Doug's a tattletale because that's what you know. That's what uh, Roberto does. Um, and and Doug just shrugs it off, you know, telling him it's important, you know. And of course, he tells them what happens that those two teleported away, and Danny's reaction. Is that they're idiots. This is not a good idea. And Sam, he's a little more trusting, a little more, has a little more faith in the two of them. He, you know, he thinks they'll be careful and they'll be okay. But Danny, remember, she saw the huge image of death and she's been seeing death images all over the place. There's so much death and there's so much chaos that she isn't sure whose those images are meant for. She just knows she sees death everywhere. She saw that massive image above the, the the school when she was outside checking on Brightwind at the beginning of the issue. So she is, you know, really shook up. She doesn't know um, what that meant. So she's concerned that it could, those death images may have been for Ileana and uh, Karma. So we find out where Karma's been living with her siblings. Uh, it's... Not the nicest apartment. It's Manhattan. It's the Lower East Side. Um, apartments there, apparently, according to Claremont, uh, are are cheap. Um, it's you know, according to Ileana, there's there's bedrooms at the mansion that are bigger than the place that Karma's been renting. But for Karma, this is home, and she didn't want her family growing up as perpetual guests in someone else's home. That's why they've been living in this apartment. So they have a place that that there's own that is their own. You know, but 
with everything that's happened with the mutant massacre and and really just the fear and the unknown uh, state of things, she's gonna bring her siblings to the mansion because she she's scared, she's terrified, she wants them to be safe, and that's the safest place she knows of. And she goes to turn on a light, and then there's this mash, massive explosion. So back at the mansion the team is debating on what to do. It's been a while. They haven't heard from Shane. They can't get a hold of her. When they call, the operator tells them, tells them the line's out of order. Um, and they're just not sure what to do. They know that had things gone well, Ileana probably and Shane would be back by now. Um, And they got to figure out what to do. They're trying to figure that out. And they, Danny thinks they need to go after him. Um, and, and, you know, Doug and, and, and Sam aren't 100% sure, especially Doug. He, he suggests that they tell the X-Men, um, you know, for one, they they were ordered to stay and help with with the the Morlocks, and Bobby, of course, can't keep his mouth shut. He snipes at at Doug, um, calling him a tattletale and a toady, um, and saying, I, "I'm just going to read what he says because it's 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 a real jerk thing to say." I mean, Bobby, since the whole thing with Magneto, has been nothing but a jerk. Um, and, you know, when you think that he was, you know, from the moment this whole thing started, his character has just kind of been lost in himself and lashing out viciously at his, his allies, his friends, you know, when first rain now, now, uh, Doug, and that's this, this animosity between Doug and, and Bobby's, you know, fairly common. It's, this isn't the first time we've seen it, um, but Doug is getting tired of it. And like I said, I'll, I'll just read what Roberto says to him. Not merely a tattletale. Douglas is a toady to boot. No honor, less guts. And Doug is ready to go to blows. Warlock's holding him back. And of course, you know, Bobby has no problem saying, you know, acting like this big tough guy. Because he is. He'd use his powers just to cream Doug. Sam tells him to knock it off. They need to behave or they're going to be answering to him. And Danny answers Doug's concerns, saying, you know, the X aren't too busy, too shorthanded. So it wouldn't be fair to dump this on their shoulders. But Sam's not sure. He thinks that that he makes... Doug's making a lot of sense. It's the... And so they decide that they're going to take a vote. Well, you know, evidently the vote went that they're going to help, help. They're going to go after their friends. Um, and so we see a panel of the sewer tunnels and then a smoldering spot. And, of course, it's magma. She's burrowed her way through the tunnel wall, made a new tunnel. And they've gone out beyond the X-Men's uh, Century post, so they're not going to be seen or noticed. 
Uh, so they're, they're going to sneak off without Magneto or the X-Men knowing. Um, Sam still thinks this is a mistake. And Danny, her response is, you know, they voted their team. It was a team decision. But if you're worried about getting in trouble with Magneto, she's willing to take the blame. Um, Warlock is acting weird. He turns into a car. He wants to stay in the sewers. Everybody thinks that's really weird because that's where these marauders are, and they don't really want to run into them. They think it might be just smarter to to take turn into a, a something that can fly. They can fly. They'll get to where they're trying to go faster that way anyways. Warlock says, nope, this is the only thing we've got. Too bad. It's the only thing I'm going to do. It's, this is what I've ordered. You, you've got you to take it. And Danny asks uh, Doug if something's the matter, and Doug says he's been we- acting weird all day. And Warlock's response to that is, yeah, maybe that's weird by your standards, but I'm just acting the part. Um, Self has been scanning wild data. Um, and his this behavior's resulting from the scanning of that wild data. These um, In an attempt to rationalize the anomalies he's been scanning. And Doug calls him out saying, no way, you're hiding something serious, and he knows it. And Roberto defends him saying, you know, if you ask me, like, these marauders running around killing a whole bunch of people in this, you know, that's enough to make anybody act really weird. Like, the situation is way, way out of control. And the new mutants out of their depth. And I think in a lot of ways, this is Roberto's statement of like, I'm acting weird. I am really out of control because the situations I'm, I'm not capable of handling. Of course, people are acting weird right now because the situation is so tense and overwhelming and horrific. Like, what other response would there be besides acting weird? Um, you know, they tell Warlock to keep his sensors out as wide as they can. They don't want to run into those assassins in in the sewer, and they drive off. And from behind our heroes, this massive technical or organic being begins to emerge and we discover it's Mangus and he apparently is there to destroy Warlock his son so this is the big reveal for Warlock this is the other plot this is the plot that's going to drive the story forward for the new mutants and it's the plot that's going to remove them from the mutant massacre and what's happening with the X-Men. Uh, so uh, we're going to get closure to this long simmering plot thread that deals with Warlock's father. And uh, that's going to be wrapping up in the next issue. So, but before we finish that issue, we got to figure out or move on to the next issue. 
before we finish this issue, we need to figure out what happened with Ilyana and Karma. So a little later, the New Mutants uh, have traveled through the sewer and they're about ready to head up onto the street. They, upon getting on the street, you know, Roberto smashes open the manhole, uh, Warlock's still being pensive and, and really standoffish and uh, really slow to act. Um, the New Mutants are really shaken. They have seen the massacre in the tunnels. They've seen the bodies uh, of the dead Morlocks. They've seen the damage and the carnage, and they're horrified by it. Um, they don't know how to react. Uh, magma's really talking like in in high uh in high worded eloquent words but they don't like the words that like may have been used by Julius Caesar to write about war these eloquent really romanticized words that they don't hold true to what she witnessed in the sewers Roberto reacts in rage as is often the case he he's just enraged. He wants to kill. He wants to run into uh, the marauders and kill them. He just murder them. He, he just is so enraged, and Sam listens to him. Just you know, explode in enraged anger. Um, Doug sits next to Rain, who is slumped down, uh, almost wrapping her arms around her legs. She's just kind of holding herself in almost a fetal position. And she, and she tells Doug, she just wants to cry, but the tears just won't come. <clears throat> and Doug tells her, you know, eventually they will come. We'll, we'll process this and we'll, and we'll cry, both of us. Uh, Doug just, he can't, he has no tears for it either. He's just so overwhelmed by what they've seen. Um, and and Sam's reaction as he's talking to Amara is that they should have just stayed home. They shouldn't have, there's just things they shouldn't, they shouldn't have seen. Um, and Amara's response is that, just, you know, you might think that, but we're here. And the new mutants, they're made of sterner stuff than than he thinks. Um, and this this moment of reflection on what they've witnessed in the sewers is interrupted by the piercing sound of sirens. And there's a building on fire and and the fire, you know, department has arrived to, to try to put it out and, and Quickly, the new mutants realize, well, that's Shane's apartment. And then the building, the, 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 the room that's on fire is, is Shane's apartment as well. And Danny's just irate. She chastised Warlock. She's so angry, um, telling him it's his fault for not flying them there, for staying hidden in the sewers. And, and uh, Safer tries to interject, but she doesn't want him making excuses for 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 Warlock. Um, not this time. She's not in the mood. And she's ready to send them into the the blaze um, when 
Ileana and Shane show up behind them in the alley. And apparently, the just as the room exploded, Ileana was able to teleport the two of them out. Uh, they were both injured a little bit in the explosion, but they'll be okay. Um, and they suspect that the that this was bomb was set by the Marauders. Um, and so, but and they ask about Leong and Naga, but they're gone. They're missing. They weren't there when they arrived, and and they don't know where they're at. Uh, they figure that maybe the Marauders have them. And Danny is in the process of ordering Rain to shift into her wolf form so that she can track them. Um, when, and, and she tells Warlock to sweep with his sensors as wide as possible. And as he does this, he freaks out. He grabs the new mutants and he runs and he flees. And, and he keeps telling, saying, flee, flee. And they're trying to calm him down. Nobody knows what the heck's going on. And they reach... They get way down in the tunnels, far, far, far away. And he stops and he lets them go. And he forms this massive tank-like structure. And he's preparing to do battle. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of collapses. And he's saying things like terror, termination, hopeless, self-lost, despair. Why go on? Cannot go on. And he's just like this puddle. And the new mutants begin talking amongst themselves. And Safer remembers that this is what he was like the night they found him. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what to do. And Danny remembers that night, too. Warlock had gotten crazy and he'd been talking about their father, about his father, the Mangus. And all of a sudden, tendrils reach out from behind them reaching out to the towards the these or, techno organic tendrils um and it is who we think it is it is magus uh warlock's father and he explains amongst our race the warlock must ever duel the magus to earn his right to life by slaying his sire. Thus does a warlock in turn become the Mangus and ruler of our techno-organi. Techno-arcani. Techno-arcani. The price of failure you are all about to learn. And Ileana teleports them all away before he can infect them with the techno-organic virus. And he calls her a changeling witch, which I find very interesting because in in certain ways she is that. Um, she has this ability to change between this dark child persona and this white snowflake, this innocent childlike um, persona and this dark, very menacing entity that she often reverts to when she's using her sorceress powers or when she is um, in limbo. And he's going to track them down. He, there's nowhere they can run that he won't find them. Um, and he hopes they resist because um, it'll be more enjoyable for him in the end. 
it'll be the same. He's going to kill his son and he's going to uh, transform his son's friends into techno-organic beings. Um, and that's how this issue closes. So this is the this is the subplot that's going to pull the new mutants away for the next couple issues. And this is going to uh, keep the new mutants out of out of the the rest of the mutant massacre. Uh, so you know that's that's really. That's, that's I think, the ingenious way that Claremont has kind of made this story work for the New Mutants. Um, had them be a part of this this crossover, but not anything that's... Uh, like, if you, if you didn't read what was going on in the rest of the X titles, you're not out anything. You can continue the stories without that, and, and I do appreciate that. Um, there's, there's a lot, I think, to be appreciated in this issue uh i i like that claremont's going back to kind of tie up this loose end of mangus's fa- uh of warlock's father mangus um some people i i've read some missions boards that that thought this uh, this plot line was simmering for too long i mean i can kind of see that as being something some people might not be exactly happy with i mean we're about halfway through the run of the series before this is ever even brought up um being as what's going to, I should rephrase that. That sounded really silly, <laughs> poor phrasing on my part. But the way this is going to be resolved uh, with Mangus, I think that having it wait this long was actually better. Uh, it works better for some other characters. Uh, we're going to see, you know, we're not that far off from Inferno, really. I mean, when you think about it, we're we're almost to fifty and. You know, Inferno's in the early 70s. I mean, we're probably about 25 issues away from Inferno. So some of the consequences of what's going to happen here begin to lay some of the groundwork. And we've been seeing some of this hinting at toward as we're building towards Inferno. We've been building towards it. I would argue since Ileana showed back up as a 14-year-old child um, instead of the seven-year-old daughter or girl that she was, I think, uh, and, and especially when she joins the New Mutants, I think really that's the beginning of Inferno. Uh, you know, and, and it's, whether it was intended at that time or not, I don't know, uh, but we're not that far away. We are not that far away. So, uh, yeah, Inferno, it is coming. Uh, we we are getting close, and uh, uh, yeah, the New Mutants really don't have much more to do with the Mutant Massacre. That's okay. I like that we're going to get to tie up this Mangus subplot, the subplot of, of the Mang- uh, of Warlock's father. Um, I think that's great. I like that we've, you know, had this moment of downtime, really, where the New Mutants are just trying to process death, really, just mass mass death um really confronted with the horrors of what it is to be a superhero and what it is to be a mutant and i i think you know really it's 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 really horrific and i like that we're seeing how they react to it they all react differently and they've all in some ways um reacted in a way that was 
probably not normal. Um, I, I, I think, you know, Roberto, his hyper-masculinity, these roots he falls back to um, are just his way of trying to make sense, rationalize what's happened. Um, they all kind of fall to that. Warlock is off in his own world because he knows his father's here. His, the Mangus is here, Ma- Mangus is here and is going to destroy him. Um, Sam is super pensive and withdrawn, and Danny's overly aggressive. You know, like, she can't save these lives, but she's going to do something about her friends. And is super careless, which we haven't seen that from Danny in a while. So some of these are, are old traits that it seems these characters have fallen back on. Um in reaction to what they're confronted with, something that is so far out of their control, so they fall back to what they know. And I think that's very well handled um, and, and well done. Uh, one of the complaints, and I think I'd have to agree, uh, with one of the subplots that's introduced is this subplot with Karma's siblings. Now, this thing lingers and lingers and lingers, and Claremont, he's never going to return to it. He's not going to... Come, he's never gonna clean that that dangling plot thread up. He will be uh, off the X books before somebody addresses that plot thread, and it's resolved in a Beast miniseries in the '90s. Uh, so he never comes back to it, which which is a shame because I I like Karma and I think Claremont did too. Um, so this works for multiple reasons. I think what with the disappearance of her siblings, it allows Karma to leave the book, unfortunately. Um, but she's really underused very often in these books. And I've talked a lot about why, well, I've talked a couple times, I think, in the past about why I think maybe he did that. Um, her power can just be so overwhelming. This idea that she can possess people can just be so overwhelming. And, you know, how do you utilize that? How do you utilize this power in a way that it's not always overriding the story? She just controls them, and then we're done. Um, you know, like, how do you deal with that? We've also had that issue back and way back, way back, way back, where she really didn't like possessing people. And that was a plot that we never picked, really picked up again, right? Because then she was taken over by the Shadow King, and was possessing people left and right, forcing them to do horrible things. And what was the fallout of that? So we could have revisited that issue um, within her, like not liking to possess people, feeling dirty, feeling disgusting, having this link to what her brother used to do, um, this horrific treatment of people. Um, but we never really deal with that because there's, it's almost as there's so many characters being juggled that it's it's hard to come back to him. So a couple characters that seem to suffer regularly on Claremont's time on the book are Amara Aquila, Magma, and Shane Koi Man, uh, Kamara. Uh, um, or Karma, sorry. That's fine. Uh, anyways, that really seem to not get enough attention and so we're going to see both of them drop away from the book eventually um it's hard to you know 
ideally it would have been great if he could have developed these characters and had them have distinct individual voice and enough time in the book. But there's certain characters that just really drive the stories and become central figures in plots. And not everybody can have the same amount of time uh, as others. And some people, you know, it, it's for some of these characters, Claremont really just never finds their voice. Um, I think Amara's one of those, Magma's one of those characters, uh, that he just doesn't find their voice. And even if Roberto isn't the center of the story, he does have that voice. He's got Roberto's, Roberto's voice down pat. He's got Wolfman's voice down pat. So even if they're not central to the story, they can add to it in a couple panels here and there and still have some character development occur. Whereas Amara's always the same Roman you know, Nova Roma entity that she was. She really doesn't change from that. So she's always this very prim, proper, honor-bound person, and we never see her stretching from that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be some changes coming down the road. Uh, But first, we're going to have to deal with uh, Magus, uh, Warlock's father. So next issue... We'll be diving into uh, New Mutants uh, 47 and uh, wrapping up this story arc with My Heart for the Highlands. Um, And uh, at some point, I do want to go back and revisit annual number two. Um, And I would like to maybe come back, like I said at the beginning... And and revisit Mutant Massacre and kind of do it, you know, really do justice to that storyline as well. Even though it's not a huge New Mutants um, heavy crossover, it's it's has an important place in the X Men uh, line in that it's the first major X Men crossover. So, I in that regard, I think it's. It's worth reviewing. Uh, plus, it's just a really good story. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, that's that's this issue. We we uh, scrambled to get it done. Uh, I'm a little late getting it posted. I apologize for that. Uh, things here have been just a touch crazy. Um, baby is, is uh, not sleeping the best and that means I'm not sleeping the best we're trying some sleep training so that's been some stressful uh made for some stressful nights and uh meant that I'm running on little sleep and so having the time to record this has been difficult this week uh but I'm going to get it published here a little late and I apologize for that but uh it will be Wednesday, and that I'm grateful for. So, uh, again, thanks for listening, and uh, keep reading those comics. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Des Moines, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore the New Mutants via email at explorenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another really cool way to reach the podcast is via the Anchor Messenger service. This allows you to record minute-long messages that are sent directly to me.
I can then add them directly to the episodes, which allows you, the listeners, a great way to interact with the podcast. So I highly recommend it if you've got questions, comments, or just some concerns. Please send them my way. I'd love to hear them. Um, until next week, keep reading those comics. <laughs>